We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, Hornets fans, and welcome back to another Buzz Beat, a Charlotte Hornets podcast. This is Richie, and we wanted to thank all of those that are joining us live on Twitter Spaces. I'm here with Lee for another post-game reaction pod. As we get into this, I wanted to let you guys know that we're going to put a link in the episode notes about Buzz Beat Plus. It's a way that you guys can show your support for us, but also you get ad-free episodes early access to episodes. This specific episode is going to be released Monday for those that are subscribed and then Tuesday for those that are not. And then you also get exclusive content as well. The latest post that we had on the website was a seven-minute video that I did breaking down a handful of clips from the first game against Boston where LaMelo was probably his best at attacking the rim out of any game this season, maybe even his career. And today's game, it was a different story. So, Lee, how's it going? Hey, Richie, good to uh, good to be back on the airwaves. Um, I think we've got a creative little uh, episode we're going to do today. So, um, all is well in my all is well in my world as we inch closer to the trade deadline. Uh, we may or may not have more to talk about. Yeah, I'm sure we'll have. Um a trade episode in a couple of weeks too but yeah you're right on today's episode we will talk about the latest loss to Boston um, but now that we're halfway through the season we're going to create a little five-man lineup that represents Charlotte's five most impactful players similar to an all-star team but not really if you know if you know what I'm saying so <laughs> we're going to get started here it's funny that the Hornets almost had like a little like baseball series you know, two-game series in Toronto, and then they had two-game series here with the Celtics, and uh, both teams brought out the brooms as they swept the Hornets there. Uh, we saw this on Friday night, but again, we saw it again today on MLK Day. The Celtics are just so good at firing away from three-pointers and getting good looks there, getting shots at the rim. It feels like 70 to 80% of their shots like are either at the rim or from behind the arc. And the Hornets were just in such a predicament today for a lot of different reasons. But Jason Tatum dropped 51 points 
And they always have this predicament on how to guard someone of his caliber. And I get it. Like, he is a leader for the MVP award. But they just wanted to throw doubles after doubles after double out on him. And in the first half, you saw others get involved. And I thought his passing was an underrated aspect of his game. You're going to look up at the box score and see he scored 50-plus points. But not just the five assists, but just the pass that led to the assist because of what the Hornets were doing. It was so predictable. Anytime there'd be a screen, they'd double. He'd happily make that pass to the short roll, and that short roll pass would make it to the corner, or he'd just make the skip pass all the way across, and Boston would drill the three-point shot. Boston was, let's see here, 20 of 43 from behind the arc. That's good for 47%. So, I don't know what you do, Lee, with a player like Tatum, but he has a good chance of winning the MVP this season if he keeps up this play. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's he's right there in the mix. Uh, obviously, Jokic is, is making a strong campaign for his third in a row. Durant has a, has a chance. You know, Curry's been hurt, but is in the mix. I mean, there's a Embiid. I mean, there's a bevy. I mean, that's, that's the other thing is like the MVP race this year is just it, I mean, a guy like Donovan Mitchell can barely even get in the conversation, and he's just been incredible. I saw I saw or heard a stat that there are five players in the NBA averaging over 30 points a game right now. And if you go back just eight or ten years, you know, it's one guy would do that a year sometimes. Um, there was another stat that said, there's like 48 players in the NBA averaging over 20 points a game. And if you go back to 2013-14, there were only 11. So like the scoring is just, it's ridiculous right now. It's fun to watch. Tatum, not only did he have 51, he was 15 for 23 from the field. You're right, Richie. These these type of supernova, you know, highest, highest order kind of offensive superstars, the Hornets, and frankly, the rest of the league, just there's not much you can do with these guys. I mean, you know, Embiid had 50 on the Hornets earlier this year. Um, he's another guy that the Hornets just historically have basically no shot at even slowing down. I think you're right. I think the the defensive kind of strategy can be frustrating at times, but I think even verbatim, you pretty much tweeted out like pick your poison, pretty much. Yeah. Uh, but but uh, still some uh, still some interesting uh, I think Hornets points to make from this game as well. Um, I'll just I'll just start off by saying you know Lamelo continues. You know you you almost want to like you almost want Clifford to hone in his three point shooting at times, but then like the numbers tell you that these are that he's making these shots at an efficient rate. Again, a five for twelve performance from three tonight for Lamelo. So he just continues to absolutely uncork the jumper from super deep at times, but he's making them at an acceptable rate. And and I think that is one of the uh, one of the kind of uh, underappreciated maybe storylines of Lamelo's development right now is that he's become not on this podcast we've talked about it a ton, but like he's become a efficient deep three-point shooter, which is really fun to watch. Yeah, I just think sometimes when you watch him, he looks like he forces too much sometimes. And whether that's from three or whether that's from inside the arc as well, 
it's not always within the flow of the offense. And sometimes it's when he has dribbled the ball five, six, seven times and it's not really touched anybody else. Um, I think sometimes he gets into kind of like these individual matchups a little bit too much too. Like if someone were to score on him, he's going to want to try to go back and score on them. But like when you take a step back, like you're saying, Lee, and look at the overall numbers from behind the arc, they're still going in at an efficient clip. Like you said, five of 12 against the Celtics, but overall eight of 23 for the day. He was not as aggressive in getting to the rim as he was uh, on Saturday night um, in that first game. But I think we do need to also shout out, in addition to LaMelo, wanting to make sure we got this in about Jalen McDaniels, who had a oh, yeah. well-rounded game, finishing with a career-high 26 points, uh, three rebounds, but the points is really what sticks out to me. And I don't necessarily think he was all that great defending Tatum. I mean, nobody was, but I think he had a tendency to bite on a lot of pump fakes and take himself out of the play. He even had this one play in the first half where he was defending Tatum on an Iverson cut. The angle that he took on, it was so poor that Tatum was able to kind of cut back door for a bucket. No resistance whatsoever. But speaking about playing within himself, like unlike LaMelo at times where it's out of the flow, it just feels like whenever Jalen makes a play, it's always within his role. He's never doing something that is out of his realm. He takes everything in the flow of the offense. He had four three-pointers in the first half, two on corners and two on above the break. So you you see the variety in which he can get those shots depending on uh, whether or not he's involved in the initial action where it gets him that above the break three or if he's just kind of sitting in the corner waiting for his spot. I did think he had an impressive steal and finish over Tatum. Like he did an awesome job lowering his shoulder just enough to where it wasn't an offensive foul, but he created enough space to where he could get the shot over him. And I thought one of the more underrated plays of of McDaniels in this game, I don't think it was an assist, and I wouldn't necessarily call McDaniels a playmaker by any means, but he had this one little like step-up screen with LaMelo. He slips it, catches the ball, and he's kind of drifting towards the baseline. And he gets knocked out a little bit, and he makes this left-handed wraparound pass to the weak side corner. Can't remember who the teammate was, and I'm not even sure if it ended in an assist. Probably not, but you know, little things like that we see out of McDaniel's every single game, where it just like surprises you. But yeah, awesome game for McDaniel's tonight. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
If you're a basketball junkie, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Twice a week, J.J. Redick is cooking on his podcast, The Old Man and the Three. He has guys come on in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, including Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron in Miami, and the moment Tyrese Halliburton knew Pascal Siakam would be a good fit in Indy. In addition to player interviews, every Monday, J.J. breaks down the top three things happening around the NBA with unmatched analysis, not outlandish takes, and is often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler to dive deep on rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? You won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as JJ does it on The Old Man and the Three. Make this your companion podcast during the playoffs. Listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. Great game for McDaniels. You know, I think, you know, there's there's like a fair question to be asked. If you had an outside perspective of this team, if you weren't watching them every day, I think it would be fair for someone in that situation to say, is Jalen McDaniels truly an NBA rotational player or is he just producing on one of the worst teams in basketball right now? Could be both. It could, it could, it could be both. I think, um, yeah, I think it is both, frankly. But, <laughs> but I, I, I think I would push back on someone saying, He's a guy for Charlotte right now, but he's not necessarily a true rotational NBA player. Like I think he actually is a rotational player just about everywhere um, in the NBA right now. Now, you know, he wouldn't be starting for a lot of other teams, but because of his um because of his two-way effectiveness, because of his ability to to shoot the basketball, because of the kind of like small incremental improvements he's made in his in his in his ball handling and his passing and his basketball feel you know things of that nature um you know he is he's he's a guy now I mean he he is a he is just like Cody Martin did last year like Jalen McDaniels is earning his second contract in the NBA which is a hard thing to do particularly when you're a second round draft pick just like Cody Martin was Mm-hmm. Um, so awesome game for McDaniels tonight. You love to just kind of continue to be able to pick out these little, uh, specks of optimism in, in otherwise what has been just, you know, you know, I mean, one of, uh, unfortunately not the, but one of the worst seasons in, in, in Hornets history from, from just a purely kind of records and standing standpoint. If we if we wanted to pivot to another guy, um, yeah. let's talk about Mark just for a second. Um, Mark Williams back in the lineup tonight, obviously still playing behind Mason Plumley. You know, just just more like more good stuff for Mark Williams. Um, Nine point six rebounds. You know, so so not like an eye popping double double like he's had in some of the, uh, some of his other performances um, this season. But, you know, he did that in 17 minutes, and right. I would just highlight a couple things from him. Number one, he canned a, a mid-range jumper that, that looks pretty fluid today. I, mm-hmm. I continue to think that although it's not what you want him to be doing right now, obviously, you want him to be leaning into all the things he's truly good at, the rim running, the rim protection, the f- pick and roll, you know, all that stuff. But 
he shoots a good free throw and he and he has solid mechanics so that's something to keep monitoring and then of course the sequence where he blocks or and i don't know if he actually got a finger on it but he can test a grant williams floater uh on the left side of the basket in the second half and he either blocked it or contested it so effectively that grant williams airballed the floater on the baseline and then he runs the length of the floor after that and gets and gets a a rim run you know slam i think from terry rozier and like just encapsulates what you want from march williams defend the defend the basket create create or alter a, a a shot from the opponent run the floor jam the ball in the basket yeah, it looks like he was not credited with the block shot, but to your point, altered it enough to where it basically was a block shot and kept it in play. Yeah, those back-to-back possessions there with the baseline jumper and following it up with a dunk on Robert Williams was like the highlight for him. And he only played 17 minutes, and obviously he's still log jammed behind Mason Plumley. and him and Nick Richards have been alternating games or like, you know, two games here, two games there. It's just been a weird rotation with the the centers and we've talked about it here on the podcast yeah that baseline jumper was interesting because you keep pointing out the fact that he does so well from the free throw line and he was three or four today and he does have a smooth looking jumper it's it's not something like you said that you want him to turn to but if it's late in the shot clock or off a loose ball or or you know nothing is going for the team and and he has that open shot on the baseline from you know 12 to 15 feet I have no issue with him shooting it as long as it's, you know, later in the shot clock and not like a primary possession for him, which is never going to be the case. And connected with him, and last player I do want to mention about this game before we move on to the the fun segment, is Mason Plumley continues to raise his trade stock. Offensive rebounds were just awesome in the first half. Well, just overall as well, but six offensive rebounds in the game didn't always lead to second chance points, but he's fighting, he's aggressive. And I think one thing that we we've seen from him this season is when he has position on the block or just generally anywhere in the paint, he goes up. Like, he doesn't hesitate. There are times when he gets it off the offensive rebound and he just is aggressive in going up there. And I think a lot of times when you think about a player that doesn't shoot the ball too well from the free throw line, like maybe you might be shying away from contact, but he is cutting, he is getting to the block, he is getting offensive rebounds, and immediately when he gets that entry, whether it's on a mismatch, whether it's just someone of his like, height he's going to go up and try to dunk it so I thought that he did uh, another great job tonight and his stock cannot be any higher Lee I, I did the, don't know how many times we can hint at this yeah I mean he had seven assists tonight as well yeah and, wow. I mean you uh look he's shooting 60 percent from the free throw line this year I mean that is not great but when you look back at his preview I mean he was 39 percent last year like like that's a pretty incredible improvement i mean i mean think about a player going from 60 to 80 like that's what that is like that's a that's a huge jump so i mean we've had our fun as we should uh you know about mason plumley's you know left-handed pull up and and you know all these kind of crazy it just comedically how how comedically uncomfortable he looks at times when forced to do anything but dunk the ball backwards but no, I mean, look, he, he, like, like, I still wonder 
what other front offices i still wonder how other front offices value his production because you do have to view it in the context of what the hornets are right now and and so i wonder if there is any appetite out there for anything more than kind of what we've discussed on this podcast which has basically been like a you know somewhat protected like second round pick or something but but you're like but i i absolutely agree that he's playing his best basketball in Charlotte and probably his best basketball since, you know, really probably he was in the rotation of those really good Denver Nuggets teams. I mean, obviously most NBA fans will remember that the Nuggets played the Lakers in the in the bubble playoffs. And that was, of course, the championship the Lakers won with AD and LeBron. But like Mason Plumley before he went to Detroit, was a, you know, pretty integral part of the Nuggets rotation behind Jokic. Um, so like he has played in big games. He has contributed on, on playoff rosters in his NBA career. Um, so yeah, I'm with you, Richie. Like his value couldn't be higher. I just, I think I still wonder what the, what the true market demand would be. I, I mean, reckon we're going to find out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe not. We probably maybe. won't. <laughs> Let's probably resign him. Yeah. All right, Lee, let's get to our creative section of the podcast here, a little bit more uplifting. We're going to create a five-man roster of the quote-unquote, I'm using air quotes here, best players from the 22-23 season. We're halfway through the season, almost like an all-star vote. Here are the parameters. You can only have two guards, two forwards, and a center, similar to all-star voting. And let's go ahead, just because we were talking about the center rotation with Mark Williams and Mason Plumley, let's go ahead and start with center. I think that one player you do have to give an honorable mention to when considering the center position for the best overall impact player on the centers is Nick Richards. Like he had a good first half to this season. I think his role has been a little bit inconsistent lately, but for the body of work, I think Mason Plumley has to be the choice here. And he has certainly surprised a lot of people with his play. I, I would say that I'm probably somewhat of a Mason apologist over the seasons, even last season when people were giving him flack. But even I didn't see this type of jump. And, and you talk about maybe his value or his impact being as good as some of those teams when he was with Denver. You could almost make the argument just from an efficiency standpoint that this could be his best season of his career. Now, the team isn't winning. So maybe the impact is irrelevant at this point, but I can't imagine what this team would look like if there was a worse version of Plumlee on this team. Like if he was playing like he was last year, you know, he's doing this at the age of 32, which makes it more impressive. And I think when LaMelo was out in the beginning of the season, he was a more of a focal point in terms of using him at the hub, at the elbow, where they run frequent actions through him. And he's such a good backdoor passer at creating shots at the rim for others that it makes sense to do that. So I think, you know, when it comes to centers that can pass the ball in the NBA, what do you think? He, like, falls into top five, top seven? Like, you know, it's got to be up, especially when it comes to shots at the rim. You got Jokic, which you just mentioned. Like, he's in a tier all by himself. You've yep. got uh, Sabonis, who's up there. Yep. Carl Anthony Towns, obviously, is playing more power forward this season, but, you know, he's been a center <laughs> good passer more yeah. necessity because he has to throw out a double team so much but yeah you know Siakam's playing center this yeah. season I don't really consider him a center but 
you know, he's got to be up there. Like he, he's up Bam there. Bam can really pass, but Who? Bam can, can really yeah, pass Yeah, too. that's true. So, you know, I just think, like I mentioned before, besides the passing, his aggressiveness and backing down people. And I think a lot of times you, you view Mason as an offensive first guy. And I think his play style probably dictates that feeling from a lot of people. But I also think he doesn't get enough credit for his ability on the defensive side of the court, too. Like, he alters shots even though he's not picking up a lot of blocks. So I don't know if this was an easy selection for you, but the center position to me, it was probably the easiest one for me to select here for Mason Plumley. Yeah. You know, it's, I actually hadn't gone through this, um, in a little while. Um, but you're right. I mean, he is having a career year at basically any kind of traditional counting stat or traditional shooting split stat you want to look at. I mean, Points, rebounds, assist, free throw, field goal, effective field goal, two-point percentage. All of those stats I just named are either at career best or right at career best. Um, so it, it is kind of his his most effective um, statistical campaign of his career, which, like you said, at 32 is pretty impressive, even if um, you know, he is also playing one of the biggest minute loads of his career as well. So you, you certainly do have to factor that in. But, you know, from an efficiency standpoint, when you talk about effective field goal percentage, like that kind of draws out any type of uh, time affected counting stat. Like that's just a straight up efficiency stat, no matter what your minute, you know, allocation is. So that's that's still impressive. You know, just to shake things up a little bit, I'll, I'll go with Nick Richards here, actually. You know, I think you made a very, very strong case for Plumlee, and it is tough to argue against it. The The only real counterpoint you can make with Richards is that, you know, the Hornets have been more effective with him on the floor. You know, Richards has a plus 5.4 point differential, um, and Mason has a negative 2.5 point differential. So, like, the Hornets are more effective offensively and defensively when Nick Richards is on the floor, the counterpoint to my counterpoint <laughs> is that if Richards was playing 28 minutes a game, I was ready to say that. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Would he, would he still be making that type of difference? Uh, you know, if he was playing against starters like Mason is every night, you know, obviously there are exceptions there. There are times when Mason plays against the, the other teams back up. There are times when Richards plays against the other team starter, but generally, Plumlee is getting the tougher uh, unit assignment um, on a night-to-night basis, so um, it's it's a it's a bit of a flimsy argument. But I'll take Richards because I think the unexpected growth, you know, that that could be another feather in his cap, and then kind of the lineup efficiency data does give him a little bit of a nod. Although, like I said, there is some some nuance to that, and certainly some balance pushback to it as well. All right, let's go to the guard position. Uh, we got to pick two of these, so I think I'll just, I'll just give, I'll just give one. You can give one, and then we'll trade off here. So, I th- think this uh, decision wasn't the easiest one to make, but I, I do think that Dennis Smith Jr. is going to get the edge over Rozier in my selection, just because Rozier has been a disappointing player up until this point. DSJ, like Plumley, has surprised a lot of people this year, myself included. I knew that he had the rim pressure stuff and some of the uh, defensive activity, but not to the extent that we're seeing it. He's currently averaging eight points a game, which is nothing like 
awesome, but he hasn't done that since his second year in the league when he was with the Knicks. You know, the biggest thing when you watch DSJ is his presence on the defensive side of the court. And I thought he, out of anyone today, probably played the best one-on-one matchup against Tatum. And, you know, Tatum's going to score over anyone, but I think he made it a little bit more difficult. And that says a lot when he's giving up four, five, six inches to a guy uh, that's going to be in the consideration for the MVP. He is forcing opponents to kind of get off their path. Uh, whether that's to the rim or just anywhere they want to go, like he's going to shift their their path and not make it easy for them. He's getting his hands in passing lanes. He's causing steals uh, for a team that is desperate for individual defenders. And we didn't even mention this during the game recap, but Cody Martin, soreness in the knee. So he was out for this game. You can make the case that DSJ has been Charlotte's best individual defender this season. And I'm not sure how hard of a one it is to make. I mean, I think it's a pretty easy one to make. So offensively you know it's been a struggle for him and you know I think he's been doing a better job of getting to the rim and scoring maybe versus his previous seasons but he's never been a shooter he's never going uh to kind of get an uptick there but his rim pressure stuff and his assist off that rim pressure has always been in like the upper tier so I, I think the biggest drawback for DSJ like if I were to say hey you know I have a counterpoint to him not making my top two guards for this team would be the fact that he's only played in about half of these games, but you could probably say that for anyone in this roster. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, DSJ is a very logical, um, very, very logical pick. Um, I think, unfortunately, we're probably going to have the same two on this one, uh, even though I went a little bit off course with the uh, with the center selection. Um, and then, you, you know I love the lineup stuff, Richie. I mean, Dennis Smith Jr. is just, uh, an absolute machine when it comes to the the kind of holistic lineup data. He leads the team in point differential. That's in 550 minutes on the year. So although he's been hurt, like that's still a decent, um, you know, still a decent minute allocation for him. The defense uh, with Dennis Jr. on the floor is just kind of like off the charts. You see that with his point of attack and and disruption defense. I think the only the only thing about Dennis Smith Jr., and this is something that we we kind of harped on early in the season, it was like everything felt sustainable except for the shooting, and everything has been sustainable except <laughs> for the shooting. Uh, he's now down below 30% from the year on three at just about two attempts a game, and, and you can see uh, opposing defenses, just they're just totally fine with leaving him completely wide open. I mean, you saw it uh, quite a few times tonight, even against the Celtics. Um, yeah, he was over four from three and most of those were wide open. So, uh, but agree with you in the fact that I am, I am also okay giving him the, the slight nod over Rozier because of the defense, uh, because of the story and frankly, because of kind of a lackluster season from Terry. Yeah. So it sounds like you're also going to go with LaMelo Ball who, who, you know, has played 20 games as well. So I, I think the case is clear too for him. Makes exciting plays, makes this team a little bit more enjoyable to watch. Since he's been back, even though we talk about sometimes his shot selection is out of the flow of the offense. And the offense has been very LaMelo heavy since he has come back. He has the highest usage of his career, and that combined with the lowest turnover percentage of his career. So what I'm basically saying is that he's getting up shots at a career rate, a lot of pull-up shots as well. He's definitely getting his touches this season. And we all know about his playmaking and just some of the passes he does make. And I think sometimes 
some of the better passes he makes don't always show up on the highlight reel because they don't always end up in assists because his teammates aren't converting. But the quality of looks that he creates is just unreal. Um, still needs to work on his on-the-ball defense and some of that screen navigation stuff, but Charlotte is trying their best to use him off-ball on secondary playmakers, on lower-usage guys where he can play that free safety role where he was so good last season uh, getting those steals you know, off the ball and jumping those passing lanes. So he is definitely an easy consideration for me for that second guard spot. So I'm assuming you're going Lamella ball here, Lee. Yeah, I'm going Lamelo. I mean, you know, look, he he is slightly down from an efficiency standpoint, uh, but not in a major way. Um, he's taken the most shots of his career this season. He's taking the most threes um, of his career this season by far. I mean, Lamelo only took seven and a half three pointers last year. He's taking eleven a game this year, and. Look, Lamelo's a 37 percent career three point shooter through through two and a half seasons. So that's not like a small sample size number. I mean that that that's kind of who he is at this point. He's always been a really good free throw shooter. The the kind of traditional counting stats are up again, even though obviously it's only 24 games or sorry 20 games uh, this season so far. I think if Lamelo had played 40 games, he would. Because the Hornets are so bad, he might not get the all-star nod, but he would be right in the conversation just because his his numbers would be so, I mean, they're so gaudy. I mean, 24, 8, and 24, 6, and 8, you know? I mean, that's pretty ridiculous, really. And, and he still has a almost 3-1 to one at this turnover ratio. Like, the ball is in the all the time, and he's kind of constantly on net making plays versus, versus uh, throwing the ball away. So, yeah, I, I went with Lamelo here too. I mean, you know, you could you could try and get cute with, you know, if you wanted to try and make a argument for Rozier or I, I mean, I don't know what the you know Maladon. I mean, what, you know, I mean, it, it's Lamelo. <laughs> All right, so we've got Lamelo and DSJ as our guards at the center position. I've got Plumley and you've got Richard. So we need to get to the forwards to end this, and I'll let you lead off with your first nomination for forward. So small forward, power forward, however you want to classify them. Uh, let's go ahead and hear you. All right, so my first board is probably not incredibly surprising here. I'm going with P.J. Washington. Um, you know, Richie, you and me have had multiple conversations kind of around his, his up and down, you know, his inconsistency. Uh, we, we've also certainly kind of at length talked about what uh, what a trade might look like for P.J. Washington. You know, there's certainly a contingency of, of, of Hornet fandom that, they probably wouldn't mind seeing PJ Washington get moved at the deadline. I am, you know, pretty starkly on the other side of that fence. I think the Hornets should should extend PJ Washington. I wrote about that in the last ten game sampler. So I'll go with PJ here. You know, still having a pretty good season, um, just from a kind of counting stat standpoint. Three point percentage is back up to thirty six percent now. Uh, uh, unsurprisingly. Uh, his three-point percentage has risen uh, fairly sharply since Lamelo got back in the lineup. So, you know, obviously, you know, there's there's pretty direct correlation there. In my opinion, 
in terms of P.J. Washington getting open looks and LaMelo Ball being on the basketball court. Um, you know, his defense, it does kind of kind of ebb and flow at times, but but I think on net has improved. Um, the, the finishing at the rim comes and goes, but I think on net has, has kind of marginally improved. You know, he had a couple nice finishes in the first half today. Um, so I, I think he still belongs in this lineup, although... Again, as I've said before, I think Hornets fans are still kind of waiting for that for that big jump for for PJ Washington over over an off season summer, rather than the you know three percent improvement. You know, it's like at a job you get your your two percent raise when you really want the twelve percent raise. Yeah, this is interesting. The forward position was the one that I contemplated the most. Uh, P.J. Washington was definitely in consideration for me, and I think just from a skill standpoint, he would be a no-brainer. Uh, but when we're just kind of taking into um, consideration like what he has done this season on a consistent basis in his whole body of work, he wasn't he wasn't my first choice. So I, I'm going to go ahead and just lead off with my first choice out of the forward position, and I'm going to go Kelly Oubre, 20-point scorer. Yeah, I mean, he's dealing with an injury, obviously, to his hand, his wrist, and he won't be able to come back until early to mid-February. And and just to be clear, like, if people don't know about this, like, he's been dealing with this discomfort pretty much all season. So when you take that into into consideration and that fact, like, that makes this a little bit more impressive. I guess over the course of the season, it just got to the point to where um, it became more uncomfortable. But I think compared to last season, Ubery has been more of a consistent player. I mean, yes, there are still ups and downs with Ubre, but the fact that he's scoring 20 points, and I know it's on an increased role for him, says a lot. Like, he has changed his shot profile to the point to where I had to keep tabs of this thing early on. Like, he's driving to the rim more, not settling for three-point shots. And I haven't looked it up in a bit, but I'm 100% positive, 100% positive that his drives per game this season have gone up significantly, sizably, you know, since last season. And that's something that's been an underrated part of this season for him. And one thing, too, like on the defensive side, like he's not always like in tuned and he could get caught backdoor at times. But I think compared to previous seasons, like he's getting his hands in passing lanes, getting deflections and all that type of stuff. So my first go-to forward was actually Kelly Oubre. It was the next slot that I was considering a little bit harder. So, who who is your second forward for this five man roster? No, that's a good one. I was actually I kind of had Ubre in my back pocket in case uh, it looked like we were going to have the the four same guys besides the center. So, I'm actually glad you brought him up. I mean, you know, it's no secret that I that I've had my kind of hesitations and reservations on kind of like proclaiming that Ubre has become, you know, this, this massively different player. Although, uh, I do think, you know, on margin, he, he has been, been a, a more well-rounded offensive player, at least this season, even though he's still, he's still one of those guys where it feels like he's shooting 36% from three, <laughs> but he's really shooting 33 from three. Yeah. Drive me nuts. <laughs> um, you know, 7.4 attempts from three, and he's 30.8%. He has, up, in, like, up until very, very recently, like you said, 
been playing for discomfort and has been one of the more durable available players on this roster until the last couple of weeks where he where he had to go out. So I think that's a fair pick. I will go with your guy, Jalen McDaniels, as my second forward. So that gives me a full lineup of LaMelo, DFJ, PJ Washington, Jalen McDaniels, and Nick Richards. You know, Hayward is still a very effective NBA player when he plays. Um, and I'll, I'll save any Hayward talk just in case you go that direction. Uh, but for me, he just, he just hasn't been available enough to put in this five-man group. And I know that could sound a little hypocritical because he's actually played one more game than LaMelo Ball. But I, I'm kind of uh, digesting the entire history of his availability in a Hornets uniform. Uh, rather than just comparing it to, to, to one, you know, one first half of the season where LaMelo had, had been in and out of the lineup. So um, I will bypass Hayward and Oubre here to throw in Jalen McDaniels because I feel like Jalen McDaniels at this point in his career at least is, is more of a two-way contributor. And I also feel that he's kind of a, like a, a ascending development arc where the other options are kind of either stagnant or potentially declining a little bit. Now, you think I'm going Hayward here. I'm not. I'm definitely going Jalen McDaniels. So I'm leaving out PJ. Leaving out PJ. I I think between PJ and Jalen, that's where I had the toughest debate with this exercise here. Uh, Gordon Hayward was really not in consideration. I think because of the, you know, the injuries and, you know, only playing 21 games up until this point, when you compare that to forty plus games with McDaniel's in Washington, I yeah. think it's I think it's a no brainer that you go with one of those two. So yeah, I mean everything that you said, his defensive impact, his defensive versatility, and I think when we had uh, Clint Parks on earlier uh, over the summer, he talked about improving from the corner, which he has not drastically, but he has. I think overall, like some of his efficiency stats have gone down this year, but it just feels like when he's in the game. He's making an impact on the offensive end, even though, you know, some of the numbers don't always show that. And one thing, too, I mean, obviously outside of his defense is the fact that he is doing a better job of drawing fouls this season. And that just goes to show that he is becoming a little bit more comfortable in driving to the rim, initiating contact and not worrying about that. Because when you look at his frame, you know, 205 pounds, 6'9", he's lanky, he's wiry. Like, you would think that he would shy away from this type of stuff. And we've talked about all the little things that he does. But, like, when he gets the ball in his hands and he wants to go to the rim, like, I don't feel like he's shied away from that type of stuff. So, um, yeah, I'm going to go Jalen McDaniels. So my five happens to be Lamella Ball, DSJ, Ubre, McDaniels, and Plumley. We are not saying that these are the five best players on the Hornets, but just when you're factoring in in a vacuum 22 23 these are my five that would get the nod for each of these positions so lee I, i'm gonna go ahead and uh, pass it over to you for any final thoughts before we get out of here no no i think it's a it's a good kind of uh you know just barely over halfway almost to the all-star break exercise to do um you know i i think like you said the guards were kind of much easier to delineate than than the forwards and the centers, which were which were a more interesting comparison and conversation. You know, it it uh, it's it, it's a sad state from an availability standpoint when you really start to dive into like all these missed games. Um, but hopefully, uh, you know, our our Buzzbeat Army out there can appreciate 
uh, a little bit of a different episode where we where we take a kind of a higher view than just kind of some single game wrap up stuff. And the next Hornets game that's being played, have you seen who their next opponent is? I have not actually yet. Uh, they're playing the Rockets on Wednesday, so um, the big one. It's a big one for the wrong reasons, or at least the wrong reasons for most people when they watch it. Yeah, so they play the Rockets in Houston Wednesday at 8 p.m. It could be a uh, good viewing party for those of you that are interested in the ping pong balls. But we appreciate you guys joining us again today. If you want to learn more about Buzzbeat Plus, our private podcast feed, visit buzzbeat.substack.com. Our goal for 2023 is to try to get out more exclusive pods for those that do subscribe. So uh, we're working on that. I think we've only had like one or two that have only hit the private feed. We just feel bad for those that have been loyal to us that maybe don't have the income to pay $35 a year. But we appreciate all the love, all the support for Lee. I'm Richie. We will talk to you guys later.